game is so beautiful, you know. Come play. The page dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played, maybe you've made a trade. Made list, and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships, they wish they had your. So, this is it. You wanna learn the game. 101 pick when it hits, you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Owner's Manual. It's automatic D dynasty. It, it's automatic owner's manual. It, it, it's automatic D dynasty. It, it's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors C Chris Allen and A A Adam Wildey. All right, everybody, and welcome back. I'm Chris Allen, the co-host of the Dynasty Owner's Manual podcast. And I'm Adam Wildey, the other co-host of the Dynasty Owner's Manual podcast. I'll get us started with the forward. We've got our other two podcasts absolutely crushing it. Uh, Best Ball Owner's Manual came out hot, and uh, they sound good. I mean, they might sound better than us. Um, no, they don't. Stop. <laughs> we've got Debbie Owner's Manual. They're looking into 2020 already, and actually one of the better episodes I've heard of podcasts ever uh, came from those guys the other day. And it's because it was a very original thought. They decided to take 2018, 2019 and 2020 and put them all in one mock draft. The reason that's important is because you're selling these 2020 picks for a premium, but where's that premium coming from? Well, that really demonstrates where the premium is coming from because when you see that the 2019 guys aren't getting drafted until shoot maybe with those two years put together 18 and 20 they might have been drafted in the second round before you started looking at guys like Nikhil and Josh Jacobs so that's very interesting that's something that you should go check out and uh, also we're very happy to be part of the DLF network we're getting everything put together to uh, start seeing us on that feed and also you're going to start seeing us answer some questions for our own uh, video show on YouTube for DLF so <laughs> check that out as well yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that. We actually we sat down, Adam and I, and hashed through some of the details for the Q&A session that we'll be doing for DLF here shortly. So definitely check that out. Uh, the Actually, I think by the time you guys listen to this, we should have uh, the final run completed. We should be doing that next week. So we'll definitely have all that information out for the folks to, to listen to. But let's get past all that. Uh, we're now a week past the draft. And nobody knows what is going on with rankings. Everybody now has different people. They're trying to overpay for their guys, jump ahead in drafts, maybe trade back in drafts, whatever. It's absolute chaos after the 2019 draft. So, of course, in order to discuss the chaos and try and hash through it, we brought back Jesse. I mean, after our last conversation, Jesse's takes and analysis that he had written up, all the work that he had done, it was just it was so well thought out. All of the uh, the analytical work that you did was so well-reasoned. I mean, I know you put tons of hours into it, and now it doesn't mean anything. So we had to have you back in order to talk about, well, now what do we do with this draft class, and how do we value some of these players after we now know that they're landing spots? So we came up with something a bit different for tonight's show. So, Jesse, I mean, really – first, before Adam goes through what we're going to be talking about tonight, what were your general thoughts after the draft? Uh, man, have you, um, 
do you guys watch Rick and Morty at all? You guys oh, watch yeah. Rick and Morty? Okay, you know that episode yeah. where they just go on adventure after adventure and then they get into the spaceship and they both start screaming like at the top of their uh-huh. lungs and they just look tore up, dude. Like they don't yeah. know what's going on. Yeah, dude, that was me. That was me just after. Yeah. It's still me. I'm still recovering, man. Um yeah, in all seriousness, just I feel like all the work that the a lot of just great minds um <clears throat> in the fantasy community did over the past couple months and even dating back to last year, it just all got thrown out the window. Uh, I mean, unless you had, you know, Nikhil Harry touted as your definitive one oh one. I still think he sits about there, but everybody else after that, I mean, just it's, it's all up in the air. I've seen about 25 different ranking sheets. I've refused to put mine out because they are just going to get lost in a pool of just nothingness because, um, lit on fire by the Twitter masses. That I'm not afraid of that. No, I'm not afraid of that. More so as I'm just, I'm not afraid of anything. But I'm, it's just, it's almost useless because at this point you're going after a bunch of guys. I mean, there was only one wide receiver drafted in the first round. You're you're looking at a lot of iffy things in terms of um, guys that didn't produce that have high draft capital, guys that did produce who have very low draft capital, and then uh, sprinkling some running backs who they're iffy at best regardless because we don't have too much you know predictive uh, data to go on in outside of situation and, and expected volume. It's just all a jumbled mess, and I'm still – uh, I'm still venting with myself every single day I wake up. Uh, I'm trying to figure it out. I don't know. You know, it's uh, it's been crazy, man. It's been crazy to say the least. And I don't know what to do with this information. And so, yeah, as you just mentioned, I've been looking at people's actual drafts. I've been looking at mock drafts. I've seen ADP. I mean, just it, it looks crazy. So, of course, uh, Adam, you came up with the wonderful idea tonight for the show to kind of start the discussion. So before we start yelling at each other about our players, what are we actually doing tonight again? Yeah, so in typical Dynasty Owners Manual fashion, our information is not going to be time-bound, but for the sake of the exercise, we're going to utilize the players in this draft to demonstrate what can happen after the draft. I mean, this year, more than any I can remember, uh, is a draft that makes me think that I should just wait until after the draft to start working. I mean, we start working, people started working before me, especially Debbie players, but about after the Super Bowl is when I start really digging in. And that's pretty early for a lot of people. And like Jesse said, a lot of that doesn't matter anymore because a lot of the guys you really, really liked you can't draft where you wanted to or you could, but it wouldn't work out. So what we want to do today is I'm basically going to describe a few different situations and we're going to almost give out awards for different things and we're going to justify why we think that uh, these players were the biggest winners losers people were sticking with things of that nature Um, so basically I'm going to introduce the question we're going to take our turns uh, giving our examples uh, go round table a little bit and then we'll flip-flop to the other examples and what's really cool is that we have some of the same guys in different sections. So we're going to get a lot of uh, a lot of good information here. Of course, our great guest, Jesse, is going to go first. And what we want to do with the first one is just we want to talk about the losers first. It's fun to talk about the winners of the draft, and we will get there. And there are some big ones. But let's talk about the guys that we were higher on or the community was higher on. And because of what happened in the draft, it just – isn't going to work out anywhere near we thought. Um, go ahead and introduce your first player, Jesse. So uh, the question was uh, about uh, who the biggest loser was um, after the draft. And and one guy really popped out to me, and I think he's one guy that a lot of people feel this way about, but that's, uh, that's Kelvin Harmon. 
got drafted in the sixth round. Uh, he was very, very highly touted uh, by a lot of the fantasy community coming uh, into this process as probably a, a top um, a top four overall pick and then definitely a top two to three wide receiver. Um, he's a guy that I profiled, a big X uh, receiver who did a really good job at um, North Carolina at – not North uh, NC state, sorry, uh, being able to high point the ball, uh, being physical at the catch point, a guy who had pretty smooth route running uh, from, from, from what everything that I saw on tape. Um, but most of all, from an analytical standpoint, um, he had a decent breakout age. I believe it was 20. Um, I know there was a mix up on his age uh, with, with a lot of people coming into this process as well, but um, we were able to track that down and, and, and show that he was, um, he, he gained a sizable market share of, of NC state's offense at the age of 20, which is, which is fairly young. And he, posed a lot of really good situational upside. Um, now, uh, granted, situational upside has to be um, uh, paired with with things like draft capital and um, dominator rating and other other things in, inside of predictive models and stuff. But um, one one statistic that kind of uh, popped out to me was for drafting and wide receiver hit rates. I believe there's only been four uh, uh, wide receivers that have ever been drafted in the sixth round that have ever even had a top 36 uh, fantasy season. So, and I believe there's been, um, I, I believe in that pool, the number was about 79 receivers. So out of 79 receivers that were, that were ever drafted in the sixth round, only four of them have ever posted a top 36 fantasy season. Uh, I, I believe that's, that's something, uh, I mean, you guys can do the math right now. That's a very low percentage of people. And two of those, two of those guys are Antonio Brown and okay. Pierre Garçon. Okay. Um, I don't think guys like that are coming out very often. Kelvin Harmony could definitely break that mold. I think that he has the, the data to back it up, but the fact that he went in the sixth, it, it's really puzzling to me. And I think that that's going to, that's going to make him fall uh, it, it already has made him fall very, very, very far. He's being taken, I believe, in the middle of the second right now as probably the wide receiver, um, the wide receiver six or seven, maybe even eight. It just depends on what really? what what sheet you're looking at right now. Uh, I definitely know that guys like uh, Nikhil Harry, uh, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel, Marquise Brown, um, Hakeem Butler, Paris Campbell, JJ Arcega, Whiteside, even uh, Miko Hardman. Um, are guys that I'm seeing being posted uh, or being picked above Kelvin Harmon. And it's just that draft capital that has just dropped him down significantly there. And then that offense, uh, we see that it's just generally in flux right now. They're coming in with a new a new quarterback in Dwayne Haskins, who I really, really, really like. Um, they still have guys like Paul Richardson there. Uh, Josh Doxson, uh, you, and I'm not, I'm not touting any of those guys at all, but they will pose an issue for a guy like, like Kelvin Harmon. And we don't know what we're getting yet. We, we have no idea what we're going to be getting yet with, with him in that situation. And uh, there's a reason why teams pass on him. We just don't necessarily know why. Uh, and quick note too, before I let you guys go, Terry McLaurin was also uh, drafted there and, and we all know that him and him and Dwayne Haskins have a really good rapport. So I would expect Terry McLaurin to come in and, and be effective as well. And all these things kind of stack against Harmon. So is a, he was, I believe, top five coming mm-hmm. into this, pro- you know, coming into uh, into the back end of our uh, of this process leading up to the draft, and um, now it's just it's pretty annihilated. Yep, Chris, do you have a Harmon take? Uh, no, I mean, I generally agree with what Jesse's saying there because again, I'm I'm trying to, and as will be the case with a lot of the rookies that we're going to go through today, it's just I'm trying to reconcile 
uh, how we felt about them pre-draft to now how do teams really feel about them in terms of their draft capital. And I just, it, it's, it's one of the more bewildering cases that we've seen in the draft. Yeah. Calvin Harmon was my wide receiver five. Um, interestingly enough, you mentioned the middle of the second, Jesse, I was actually staring he and McLaurin in the face in the middle of the third. Um, and I was considering the two, it, it was hard. It was hard to take McLaurin. I believe I did uh, because of what I'm about to get to, but um, it, Calvin Harmon was my five. So it was obviously tough to take a guy that I wasn't interested in at all. Um, interestingly enough, Haskins before the draft tweeted, please, whoever takes me, wherever you take me, draft one of my guys. Um, of course, that would be mm-hmm. Paris Campbell, McLaurin, and the third slipping my mind right this second. Uh, but either way, I haven't heard the phone call, but I would venture to say that his receivers were mentioned in the phone call. Um, this may have been per Haskins' request, which could matter in an offense that, as you mentioned, is wide open. I mean, the only person that's really due any decent amount of money is Paul Richardson, and he got hurt last year, but he wasn't horrible. It's wide open. Kelvin Harmon's a phenomenal wide receiver prior to the NFL, and I hope he uh, breaks through, but I would probably rather have McLaurin right now simply for the fact that it's a third-round pick, and I'll go ahead and take the guy who Haskins is going to love. I think Haskins is going to do quick work of Case Keenum. So, Chris, that's going to take us to you for uh, for your biggest loser in this draft. It- Real quick before we move on, I just want to correct myself too. Uh, the date, the the hard data was forty nine wide receivers have been drafted in the sixth round since the year two thousand, and only four of them, which is only eight point one percent, have ever posted a top thirty six fantasy. Wow! So excuse tough. me on that. I, I was I was thinking I was trying to jog my memory. I tweeted it out a couple days ago, but yeah, that that's the hard statistics right there uh, yeah, for a guy like good. Calvin Harmon. Yeah, that's uh, draft capital plays into it definitely. Yeah. So and as I mean, and just that's an easy segue to what I'm talking about right now or the player I'm going to be talking about right now because at least in some circles and of course depending on which podcasts or what uh, I guess content you consume uh, Hakeem Butler was considered to be one of the top if not the top receiver depending on again which person or uh, analyst that you that you follow and I can understand at least from a traits-based analysis perspective, like why you would want to try and push somebody like that towards the top. And while I didn't necessarily agree, of course, it's something that I would try and take into account. He wasn't my, my wide receiver number one. I had him at wide receiver four, somewhere in there, if I'm not mistaken, a pre-draft. But again, if you look at his college tape and what he was able to produce, I mean, college dominator rating, uh, it was in the 88th percentile. So again, I mean, of course, the the production was there, but he was a little bit older in terms of his breakout age. So there were some red flags in his production. So we can understand, like, while there was at least some high hopes for what he could produce in the NFL, uh, there was at least, I think, the athleticism and both the, the talent was there that I thought that he would go much, much earlier. Fourth round. I never saw that coming. I just, I do not understand. I mean, how a player of his size, his speed and his production gets drafted as essentially, what was he, the wide receiver, like the 14th wide receiver taken off the board, something like that. I mean, we're talking about players like, uh, who was it? uh, Deontay Jackson, the guy that the Steelers wound up taking. He was taken before him. I mean, I I guess I'm trying to, again, I'm trying to reconcile 
how teams value players and what they're trying to, and how they're trying to build their in the, like individual franchises and why a player of his stature would fall to such a point in the draft. So again, he has to be, at least in, in my eyes, he has to be one of the biggest losers in the draft because with the, with his combine performance, with everything that he was able to put together in college and the way that the community, at least in general viewed him to see him fall so far, I guess i I don't think I've ever seen or heard of a of a similar situation for a player of that stature. I'm reserving all of my Hakeem Butler because he actually falls in a different section. Do you have anything on Hakeem Butler, Jesse? Um, no, I I tend to agree with Chris here. Um, it's it's tough to watch a guy that we all pegged as a really versatile wide receiver uh, who had all the physical tangibles, dealt with some drops in, in at Iowa State, but um, had a really, really large market share of uh, Iowa State's college production in his last year. Granted, it, it did come out late, and uh, but it was a surge, man. Let me tell you, that guy held uh, nearly half of all offensive production there for, for Iowa State, and that is just absolutely massive. But uh, I, I think what's even what makes him drop even more is the fact that Arizona took not only do they still have Fitz and uh, they they have uh, Christian Kirk on on the roster right now, but they they also decided that they were going to go ahead and take they took Andy Isabella before mm-hmm. Butler and then after mm-hmm. they took Keyshawn Johnson. Mm-hmm. Both of those guys have a more consistent base of college data mm-hmm. um, and efficiency than Butler does. Butler has this one massive year and is probably the most versatile of all of them, the most physical as well. Um, Andy Isabella has the best college data we could possibly look at, which leads me to believe that he's definitely a guy that, that I'd want to lock up there. But if, to me, I think looking at Hakeem Butler, he's going to be uh, with Fitz, Kirk, and, and Isabella there. He's definitely going to be fourth in the pecking order. And then that's not to say if Keyshawn Johnson. Keyshawn Johnson is is not an athletic wide receiver. He's not a guy that's going to stretch the field. He's not going to run fast, but he is consistent with being able to catch the ball. He's a great possession receiver. He finds the red zone, and he's probably the smoothest route runner of, of this whole entire wide receiver crop, in my opinion. So he is a technical guy that can push his way into targets if he um, – can learn the pace of the NFL game, uh, can learn how to adapt to what, what Arizona is going to ask of him. And then you just factor all of that into um, to what Hakeem Butler is going to face. And then even going to further than that, it, it just t- on, on wide receiver hit rates even more. There's just a low wide receiver hit rate for guys that are drafted in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. Um, a- anything after the fourth is just is just bad. But yeah, I mean, we can take some positives, but most of all, I, I agree with Chris here. It's just negative, I think, for the most part. Right. I can see I can see a path to targets for him in year one, like in Arizona, because, again, given his role on the team, I can see him getting a decent market share in year one with, with Kyler Murray. But still, I mean, just how the team views him, are they going to be looking to replace him immediately out the gut? If he if he lags behind any other receivers, can he just be phased out and just replaced with somebody else? I don't know. I, I really just don't know what the deal is. Hey, yeah. I'll get back now when I have to uh, make my argument later. <laughs> I think um, his versatility is what they yeah. really like, honestly. I think the fact that he mm-hmm. lined up everywhere, I think what he's going to do the most is just with his big frame and his, 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 his physicality, I think what he's going to do is he's going to create mismatches. And I think that that's where they're going to make their hay with him. Uh, and that's, that's pretty much the only way that I see that they're going to be able to do that is lining that big body in the slot and just trying to get maybe a linebacker on him um, and, and seeing what they can do, you know, seeing if they can find mismatches on smaller nickel corners, stuff like that, I think is where he's yeah. going to potentially be successful. But 
yeah, for the most part, I just don't see it though. Well, give me the over on any probability that Hakeem Butler scores a touchdown anytime a linebacker's lined up on him. Um, oh yeah, well no, I don't think that that's going to be very often. But I mean, guys like you know, I'm, I'm saying guys like Devin Bush who are coming out smaller sure. and faster. You know what I'm saying? These guys are yeah. these guys can cover now. They want their their linebackers to be able to cover. So we are long past the days of of these of these big. All, you know, 260 pound right. brutes, or you know what I'm saying? Like these big old brutes just that, right. that are just gap plug guys are meant to, you know, stack the box. These guys can cover now, man. These guys can really can. And I don't think it's going to be, you know, maybe linebacker was a hasty thing. It's just something that sure. popped in my head. But no, it, uh, it definitely happens. Those mismatches, uh, mismatches happen and they tend to call a hot read if that does happen. So, oh, yeah. That's a, Actually, a guy that I really liked the first year that I got into IDP was Dion Buchanan, and I think he's done mm-hmm. a lot for the league uh, in terms of those those fast um, hybrid linebackers. Chris, I believe that we ended up coming to the conclusion that our top three was any order between Nikhil, A.J. Brown, and Hakeem Butler beforehand, and I only bring that up because I think that's on record. So we might have to we might as well put it out there. And then we were both fine with DK, but uh, not quite where he was being drafted around the 102. So uh, my biggest loser is AJ Brown, my sweet Prince AJ Brown. I was so excited to proclaim him as my 101 uh, as soon as he got a better spot than Nikhil. And uh, he didn't get anywhere close to the spot that Nikhil got. So uh, AJ Brown was going to be my 104. And uh, now I see him still available at the 204. I know that's not necessarily ADP. He's going around the 110 in the DLF's newest ADP. However, I've seen him twice at the 204. Um, I kick myself for not trading for that 204. That's horrible on my part. Here's the problem with AJ Brown. He's he's instantly better than Corey Davis. I don't care if you think that's a hot take. I don't care what you think about Corey Davis. Um, fine player. AJ Brown's better than Corey Davis. Uh, Three year breakout, man. Three third year breakout. Come on. Okay, AJ Brown's going to be a two year breakout. Then I will fight you to the end of the earth that AJ Brown's better than Corey Davis, and I think that my army is going to be larger. Uh, that being said, Corey Davis is a fine receiver in his own right, and what has he done so far? He's done decent. He has not met that top ten draft capital. AJ Brown didn't come close to that top ten draft capital. Marcus Mariota has nerve damage. Now, I'm not a doctor at all, and I'm not going to try to be a doctor at all, um, but I will say that it hasn't bode well for him recently. And now they brought in Ryan Tannehill. You're going to tell me that Marcus Mariota's fine, yet you trade for essentially a starting caliber quarterback, whether you are a fan of Ryan Tannehill or not. That's what he is. He's done it. We used to like him in Dynasty. Uh, So basically what I'm getting at is he landed in a horrible situation. This is why our episode two weeks ago, three weeks ago with Jesse is almost a complete wash compared to this one this week because draft capital matters. It situation matters so much. You can put the best players in the league in the worst situation. It's going to be very difficult to thrive because it's an 11 person game. I don't see how AJ Brown really gets any targets anytime soon. Um, Ryan McDowell warmed me up a little bit on uh, the recent Dynasty Blueprint that got me thinking, and uh, I understand that it's Dynasty, and I will take A.J. Brown a little bit later because it's Dynasty, and I don't know that Mariota's long for that position. I think he's a fine quarterback, but I don't think it's worked out with him in Tennessee. Maybe a scene change, and maybe uh, Tua to A.J. Brown is in our future, and Everyone who drafted him one of ten and later are going to be uh, rich 
anyways, that's my thoughts on AJ Brown. I still love the player. I still think he's better than Corey Davis. I think he should have been drafted way earlier in the NFL, and perhaps we would have had a wide receiver one AJ Brown, but that didn't happen. Isn't that wild to think, though, that thinking about back to the draft between Mariota and Winston, like all the Mari- all the Mariota truthers saying that he should have been or like he was better than Jameis, all the Jameis truthers saying that uh, that he was better than Mariota, and then it just turns out that both of them, both sides were wrong? Like both, both sides might not be wrong because both players have had very roller coaster type rides so far and i don't right. think it is for the wildest of reasons though right very very what but i will mention none of which reasons are that they're bad per se right they might not live up to the hype because that was very very hype those top two picks however i wouldn't go as far as to say either player is a bad quarterback i would say they either dealt themselves a bad hand in which case we know who i'm discussing and they've been dealt a bad hand in which case, I think we know who I'm discussing. And Mariota, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when you've got nerve damage in your throwing arm? Right. You know, he was dynamic before a lot of these dynamic guys came out. He was rushing before a lot of these um, Kyler Murrays are coming out. He he was promising. You got anything on AJ Brown, Jesse? Are you going to save it for later, just like I did? Yeah, like yeah, I'm going to save it for for later because I uh, although I definitely do agree with you that he is somebody that fell. I think that uh, it might be a little bit of an overreaction before mm-hmm. we uh, and and I'm guilty of it too. When he was when he was drafted there, I, I, the first thing I did was throw my hands up and I said, "Lord, just take me away." Anyone else? <laughs> take me <laughs> away! Don't yeah. do this, not my boy, mm-hmm. not yeah. my boy. You know, but uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of people felt that way. But I think if we dig a little bit deeper into some uh, in, into some data and and into some situation, um, th- there's a case that can be made for him. But he definitely is a faller. Uh, yeah. I was able to snag him at the 110, which granted, had he gone to you know Seattle, which is a landing landing spot that we we all talked about on the last last time I was here with you guys, mm-hmm. um, Seattle or. Uh, even even the Colts, the Chargers, you know, and almost anywhere else outside. I don't even care. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah nearly anywhere else, I would have felt a little bit better. But needless to say, after the after the 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 firestorm that was the the draft, um, I, I think I feel a little bit more strongly about AJ Brown right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, but um, yeah, no. So I'm gonna, I'll save my my hot take. Well, not hot. It's not hot. It's just data. But I'll save I'll save my takes for for uh, for when we go, when we talk about them a little bit. Sure. But we're getting into the positive lens, so that one's always a lot easier to talk about because we're not uh, raging out about our favorite players. Um, the next segment is going to be who gained the most and why did those players gain the most, and is it rightfully so? So you're on the clock with the first pick on who gained the most and why, Jesse. Uh, well, the the guy the guy that I'm going to talk about that gained the most is probably Michael Hardman, and and I say the most lightly because uh, we're talking about a guy who wasn't even he was probably back end of the fourth in ADP, and and right now I'm seeing him um, be taken in the middle of the second, which is probably one of the largest surges that I've seen for a guy who presented uh, no situational upside, but goes to one of the best wide receiver situations in the league. And then um, is now a factor. Um, Personally, uh, he is an absolute riser. He's, he's one of the, one of the guys who did land in, um, 
in the best situation. And he gained a lot. I mean, the, Pat, Patrick Mahomes is is just now beginning. We saw what that offense was able to do to a guy like Damian Williams. That offense in the Andy Reid system just seems to elevate anybody who goes to it for the most part. Um, Sammy Watkins had a couple good games stretch last season. I've uh, after a, you know his injury history and everything. I'm completely off of, off of Sammy Watkins, but we did see him be able to resurrect a little bit of that play that made uh, people enamored with him. And it's just the system. Um, again. Michael Hardman did not present us with any any data that suggests that he has situational upside. Competing with a guy like Riley Riley Ridley at Georgia, um, it, we're talking a guy who only had 961 receiving yards, uh, 60 receptions, and 11 touchdowns in a three-year career at Georgia. Um, and that's just the raw statistics either. You go back and look at his market share data, his touchdown percentages, everything. It, none of it tells us that this guy should, should have been a second-round pick. But we know nothing because we are not – in the war room with these teams when they select and they saw something in Miko Hardman that they believe a lot of people attribute it and think that he just has a Tyreek esque skill set, a guy that can kind of take the top off the defense, smooth route running, um, twitchy. And they think that the chiefs were kind of forced into taking him a guy with that, with those, uh, with those physical tangibles and, and that skill set because Tyreek Hill is um, likely to not be with that organization for very long. Nonetheless, he is a riser. He went to a terrific situation, and his his stock has just uh, went leaps and bounds from where it it wasn't even uh, over the past couple weeks before the draft. So, uh, yeah, big riser there. Sure. Um, yeah, and you can take this statement with a grain of salt, especially since I'm an aviation electrician. I'm not an NFL GM, so it's going to seem kind of naive. But it seems to me that it's kind of naive to say – Tyreek Hill's probably gone. Which player looks the most like Tyreek Hill? Let us reach for that. And it's a good organization. But let's see how it plays out. Let's see how Miko does. But it feels like they reached a lot farther than they needed to. Um, And they tried to fill a hole. And if we're playing put the shape in the same shape hole, and that's a really intricate hole that Tyreek Hill leaves. Um, I don't think you have a shape to put in that hole. Uh, I don't think you could fill half of that hole. Mm-hmm. Um, he no, you can't name a comp. You can't comp to Tyreek Hill, in my opinion. He does such a, a weird thing for an offense. Um, the guy could play running back. He could play in the slot. He can play outside. He can run any route from any of those positions. You just never know what Tyreek Hill is going to do when he's on the field. And there's something that does to a defense that you are not going to slide this rookie in that. Yes, we're not paid to do this, but I would say that as a community, we're pretty smart people. None of us were really on Miko. Somebody's going to hit me up on Twitter and say, hey, I was on Miko the whole time, and I'm going to say, okay, where are you going to draft him at 1-9? I haven't seen him pass 1-9 yet, and I've done three drafts and a mock. No one was taking him at 1-9. If you were, you were crazy. You had no reason to. So, yeah. to, to elaborate, it's tough to say an organization's naive – um, I would love for it to work out for them. I'm going to miss out on Mikul in my drafts, and I'm okay with that. I would rather take a chance on a guy that I'm going to talk about next. But they're hopefully smart people. It's a good organization. Uh, do you have anything else on Mikul, Chris, before I go to the next one? Well, I've heard, I guess, just uh, I guess icing on the cake for all this Mikul madness is that I've heard analysts call for him to be a first-round dynasty pick, and I 
don't understand that. I, I guess for me, and that's not, and that's not to disparage the analysis. It's just, again, without having a, uh, I guess a, a comparison to try and rationalize that, that type of analysis. I, I can't really wrap my brain around that for a player that one, nobody was really, uh, nobody's really on prior to the draft. Two, it was a player that in the draft or like NFL draft community was projected to go round three, round four, somewhere in there to now proclaim him because of his situation to be in the first round. I I need something. I need something more than, well, he's with the Chiefs now. And Tyreek Hill is likely, most likely to be removed from the team. Again, I just I need a little bit more than than those things in order to get me to say that well now he is he is ahead of most of the players that we were now in the discussion of drafting in the first round. So that that's kind of where I'm at with it. And uh no knock on Miko. I mean, he is a versatile player. I've had to go back and research him more after the draft because to be honest with you, I didn't do much on him before. I'd barely heard of him, to be honest. I was just happy I that I I was happy to know that I knew that he existed, but that was the extent of it. And uh, to your point, Chris, we're pretend fantasy GMs, right? So if real fantasy G or sorry, if real NFL GMs are going to try to fill this very intricate hole, um, I believe that's what we're trying to do as well. Um, Not myself or either of you personally, but uh, I haven't seen him past the one nine and four drafts. So that's going to put me next at uh, Paris Campbell, and that's my biggest riser. Now I'll say Zach Reed and Kyle LeBrecht did their darndest to get Paris Campbell in the first round prior to the NFL draft, and uh, I think it paid off for him because I think Paris Campbell ended up in probably the best spot for him. Um, we listened to the guys on the Audible. That's a, a great podcast. Um, a lot of the ideas I've had recently came from their podcast with Evan Silva, Paris Campbell is a guy that's probably going to contribute quickly. And that's because they always talk about organizations that you can trust. As we say, landing spots matter. Well, organizations matter quite a bit because you can take, uh, you can take the most intricate player ever. That's fantastic. And put him in a a lousy system. He's not going to do anything for you. He's not going to do anything for you whatsoever. We talked about AJ Brown. I did, um, how I don't think he's going to do much because of the system. Well, you get an organization like the Colts with Frank Wright and put Paris Campbell in it. And that's a situation that I'm willing to trust. They traded up for him. Uh, we talked about it before the show. If you go look at their war room, you don't want to put too much stock into this, but it is very nice to see the excitement when they landed Paris Campbell, because to me, that means that Frank Wright was already drawing up what plays he wants to run with Paris Campbell before he drafted him. I mean, I could imagine that five or six plays went into the playbook the second Paris Campbell was drafted by them. So he's going in about the same range as Mikul in my four drafts so far, one mock, three real drafts. Um, they're going about one nine, one ten, and I'll uh, take Paris Campbell over him any day of the week. So, Jesse, do you have any thoughts on Paris Campbell before uh, Chris hits on him and then gets his last guy? Uh, yeah, dude, I, I definitely agree with you. I, I like the situation that Paris uh, Campbell has, has landed in. 
I, I will attach myself to anybody who's attached to Andrew Luck. I'll tell you that right now. Um, anybody who's in that offense is definitely worth um, taking a snag. But I do think I, I do want to say that my stance on him is a guy that I think you're going to see more um, fantasy value in uh, year one, out, outside of year one, probably year two, year three in that typical you know wide receiver. And this is an air quotes wide receiver breakout range in the NFL. Um I think they're going to have to manufacture him some touches right now with guys like Funches uh, sitting at the X, Ty in the slot, and then you. Um, I, I know I mentioned off air uh, a guy like Deion Kane who um, who tours ACL early, early in, in off season program uh, for the Colts. Um, he had he had better college data coming out of Clemson. Um, uh, I believe he broke out at age 20, and he's he's still going to be a factor there. Now, a guy like Paris Campbell, his his college data didn't really suggest that he had anything more than situa- situational upside and and low situational upside at that at, at best. But I do think the fact that he attaching draft capital to him in the second round, the fact that the Colts traded up to go get him, I, I, I'm I'm sure I know you guys have, but if you haven't seen uh, how Chris Ballard and Frank uh, Frank Wright got juiced up to just get that guy when they yeah, could in the second so round. Good. If you haven't seen that video, I suggest you go watch it because number one, that's I think that's why we all fall in love with this game is to see mm-hmm. reactions like that. Um and it's a good story too. But but when you see a team react that way to getting a player um, that they think can fit in their offense and do things um that they really want to do. And and he, Paris Campbell does uh, Physically, the physical tangibles he he possesses, he can he ran a four three three, blew the top out off off of uh, Lucas Oil Stadium, um, mm-hmm. and, and at the combine, and I think that um, I think that he definitely fits what they want to do physically with their receivers, and you attach the draft capital to him and uh, the the upside with luck, I think he's definitely going to be a good option, but I think he's one that you're going to see uh, maybe a year or two down the road as opposed to a guy that's coming in like right this moment uh, and can have some <clears throat> some fantasy impact for you. But um, he definitely gained some stock because he was, I believe he was maybe back end of the second after, mm-hmm. after he, he, he rose a little bit after the, uh, after the combine um, running that, that, that 40, um, but uh, after after that, um, I think he was probably back end of the second. Maybe if somebody's really bullish on him, they probably made, maybe took him in the middle of the early second. But um, yeah, now he's you know now he's 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 sitting about the back end of that first early second still. So uh, big riser there. I'd like to add before you get started, Chris, um, scoff at coach speak as you will. Uh, you might as well mute the TV when the coach is at the podium, and I totally get that, but. These reactions are not the same thing. These guys have been doing their research just as we have, but 24-7 leading into the to the real draft. This is pure emotion. You can lie at a podium, and you can do a good job lying at the podium. You can't mask how excited you are to put a guy on your roster. And when you're that excited, um, I think you're going to utilize them, but that puts you up to talk a little bit about Paris Campbell, if you'd like, Chris, and then get into your last most gained and why. Yeah, uh, I think, again, a perfect landing spot, and I could not agree more with what, what Jesse put down, is that any player that's attached to the Colts right now, and not just the Colts because of Andrew Luck. I mean, of course, that's one of the, I guess, one of the top quarterbacks that you want to have throwing the ball to you, but just from that organization as a whole, from the quarterback to the coach to the GM, I mean, well, the owner, maybe not so much, but still, I mean, everybody else that's in charge of, you know, personnel and on 
field production, I mean, these are the people, these are the organizations and the teams that you want to be invested in as a fantasy manager, because you know that if you have any inclination to use analytics or even just, I guess, logic uh, to help build your team, then you know that the Colts have at least the same, a similar mindset when it comes to building their team. So you want to try and mimic that as much as possible. So organizations like them, the Eagles, the Eagles, the Patriots, I mean, those are the teams that you want to try and mimic. So I think, yeah, if they are interested in a player like Paris Campbell, you should be interested in a player like Paris Campbell. So I'm, I'm 100% on board with where he's at and uh, trying to invest in him and acquire him as much as possible. So for my guy, uh, Andy Isabella, for me, I guess the, the thing with Andy Isabella comes down to how much do you, how much do you buy into the Cliff Kingsbury, uh, Kyler Murray Cardinals, like this new version, this spread air raid offense, I mean, how much do you buy into like what they're trying to implement? Now, if they're leaning completely into this system and now they've gone out, they've got the quarterback, Josh Rosen's now in Miami and they've now they added Hakeem Butler, which we already talked about. They have Christian Kirk already waiting for them. And so now they've added in this speedster. Like what can we expect out of this offense in 2019? And now with uh, Isabella, I mean, his, his speed and his ability to play on the outside. Like, I think that the way that he was able to produce in college, I think it translates, I mean, not immediately into the NFL, but I think it's something that can provide an impact in year one, like right off the bat, he's able to like the way he's able to produce and how he's able to beat coverage. I think that is something that Kyler Murray can attach to almost immediately. Now, my issue and we've had this conversation, Ab and I, we've had this conversation already is how much does his work and how much will they, uh, how much would his uh, skill set overlap with, with Christian Kirk's? And then of course, since Larry Fitzgerald is still there, how much would his outside work overlap with his slot work? And that's something that I'm trying to hash out because I still think that Isabella can play on the outside and win on the outside. But my hope is that because of his size, he's not forced into any sort of slot work, which would then interfere with both Kirk and Fitzgerald. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think he can win more on the outside, similar to a Deshaun Jackson type, which would not force him to overlap again and now become the third slot receiver that the team would have. I don't think that's the case, but again, I don't know how the team is going to function in 2019. So if it is, if he does wind up playing the role that he should be able to play, which is on the outside and being a speedster, then yes, I think he's will be able to maximize his ability. And it is, and he is somebody that I want to invest in. That is an offense that I want to invest in. So with that being said, I think he should be, and then he is on the rise because of his situation. And I think he will be able to produce in 2019 and continuing forward. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of my Arizona Cardinals wide receiver group talk in the next segment. But, uh, Jesse, I'm I'm sure you've got something to add to the uh, Andy Isabella conversation. Uh, yeah, he was the guy that was that always sat in my top ten. And I, I definitely agree with, with a lot of what Chris said. But um, also I definitely want to say that um, a quick thing is that, you know, Christian Kirk actually doesn't profile to me as, um, as somebody that's going to overtake anything in the slot. Uh, he, he saw about 85% of uh, snap share uh, last year, only 21% of which he saw in the slot. Uh, Christian Kirk with his stature and, the, and, and his playing style really kind of profiles to me more of like a uh, – 
a Z receiver to me. So a flanker type build. Um, why not just throw Larry Fitzgerald out on the outside again? Uh, I mean, I know he's old, I know, but he can still make those really good possession physical catches. Let him rotate with Andy Isabella in the slot. That's where Andy Isabella really, really, really rises to me is that he comes in as the most dominant slot receiver already. With with a guy like Kyler Murray, who's going to shake the pocket, who's going to who's going to run play action a lot, which I I can wholeheartedly tell you, I know that that's what Cliff King, Kingsbury is going to want to do in an air raid offense. He's going to want to get quick, you know. He's going to want to get the ball down the field in a hurry, and he's going to want to be able to air that that thing out as well. So a guy like Andy Isabella, quick, fast, great footwork, sharp in and out of his his route breaks. He can stem very very well. You can throw him in a whip route, let Kyler Murray roll out, and that's I'm telling you that's. 15 yards down the field right there let him run let him let him run a bender up the seam that's that i'm telling you that's a 20 yard game gain he can take the top off of uh, of a defense so chris while i do agree with you that there's a lot of mouths to feed i don't i don't necessarily think that uh, christian kirk is is relegated to um competing for a slot role i think you can um you have a lot of versatility now you have five receivers you can do a lot of stuff with man um that's and, fair, yeah. I, and out of all all of them, I would say that Andy Isabella um, has been the most efficient for a longer period of time, and he just fits that in the slot role. And he, can, we've seen him line line up on the Z too. I, I could see a scenario where they're just absolutely rotating. You can't get a read on who they're going to put where because Larry mm-hmm. can play in the slot, Kurt can play in the slot, Isabella can play in the slot, Isabella can play the Z, Kurt can play the Z, Kurt can play the outside. Fitz can come on. It, it's just they have so much, so many dynamic playmakers in that offense. And uh, I really, I honestly think that um, that coming in, you are going to see Isabella just slot into that wide receiver two A two B role, and he's just going to come in and dominate the way that he did in college. Um, so yeah, massive riser. I agree with you. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go on a tangent or anything there, but uh, no, Isabella no, no, but just that I love, man. Oh yeah, but like building here. off of that, uh, I would think that with the with the way that they've built their wide receiver core. That's honestly what San Francisco should have done because I do think that with the way with them drafting Debo Samuel, like while I do think that he's an upgrade over Dante Pettis, it's almost like a redundant asset though. Mm-hmm. What they should have grabbed is somebody like a Hakeem Butler to then to yeah. kind of completely round up that receiver core. That would have been the better process for them. Well, Agreed. in defense, I think that Pettis and Debo do a lot of similar things and are good in a lot of the same areas. Sure, I'll say that Debo might be a little bit better than Pettis or profile a little bit better, but I think that's still kind of what they were trying to do because Kyle Shanahan's a very smart coach, and I think he would like his guys to play at every position. He doesn't have the third guy to play every position, but I think he's getting there. Uh, I like that they do a lot of the same thing between Pettis and Debo in that situation. What I'm going to do with the next segment is uh, I don't think I've been this excited to to speak my mind on a topic since uh, mm-hmm. ever. So I'm going to actually jump off the show sheet and try to hit my guy next since he's relevant to the topic. But uh, the conversation is at what point do you stick to a player, even if the, the situation is murky? And uh, my player I'm going to stick to is Hakeem Butler. And, man, I couldn't wait to jump into the conversation. This is such a fun conversation to have because we have never seen this in the NFL. So again, kudos to the audible for getting me thinking this morning. I've got a very long drive to work and I got to listen to the whole episode with Evan Silva. Now, Chris and I um, kind of debated a little bit back and forth on Christian Kirk because I bought into Christian Kirk um, 
pretty recently. I'm okay with buying wide receivers close to the draft, not so much running backs. When it starts getting close to that draft with running backs, um, unless it's a workhorse, I'm standing off. But wide receiver, I'm definitely trying to buy going into the draft. I bought a lot of shares of Christian Kirk, and after the draft, I said, okay, let me try to get somebody who still believes Christian Kirk is the guy and uh, just get my money back for him. Nobody wanted to give me anything. Nobody wanted to give me a ham sandwich, and I looked – I don't have them in the league that we're in together. So uh, screw me. Right. So, so I listened to the audible today and they reminded me that Cliff is bringing in four wide. We, we say air raid all the time. What that means is, is four wide, four wide receivers and a running back in David Johnson, who's incredibly versatile and could play the slot in his own right. Um, so what do you have right now? You have Andy Isabella can play the slot. Christian Kirk can play the slot. Larry Fitzgerald can play the slot. Hakeem Butler was an excellent big slot. Jesse can tell you more about Keyshawn Johnson here in a second. But all four guys can play the slot. Here's how four wide is going to operate to function at the NFL level because these coaches are so incredibly smart um, with their film review. Different guys have to play different positions on a regular basis. Uh, essentially, you would want a three, 33% snap share at X, Y, and Z for all four of those guys. Let's go ahead and say I project uh, Isabella Kirk, Fitz, and Hakeem to be on the field often, right? So let's just say 33% of those guys get work at each of the three positions and obviously two slot positions. I don't think it matters which one you put where. And I think I'm very excited to see Larry Fitzgerald on the outside again because we're going to have to see that, right? Uh, I mean, for for the situation to work, you can't just – lock down Larry Fitzgerald slot role and then rotate out of the other slot. So what I will say though, is that on the outside, I believe that Hakeem Butler has the ability to be the alpha on the outside. He's an excellent big slot as well, but of the four players, I think Hakeem Butler is the guy that has the ability to be a bully on the outside and to really get down and dirty and play some NFL football when uh, four wides might not be clicking so well. I mean, you get a one of those fast defenses with some of those uh, kind of linebacker safety hybrids that we were talking about earlier. That's how you're going to come back the four wide. Um, you're going to see a lot of nickel and a lot of dime. So if you're going to you know, have to line up and punch someone in the mouth, right? You're going to want that alpha on the outside. And I think that's going to have to end up being Hakeem Butler. He's shown on film that he can bully people. He's shown on film that he's a willing blocker. Um, So yeah, you can't draft him at the one four anymore like we wanted to do, but I'm seeing him around the two four for a guy that's going to be on the field immediately. If uh, my projections are correct. I mean, if you're going four wide, what are you going to put Keyshawn Johnson or Hakeem Butler Hakeem Butler's better, and he was drafted before Keyshawn Johnson. Uh, so as it's not a knock on Andy Isabella or Kirk, rather I'm excited for both of them now, having considered it all day. I think Hakeem Butler never leaves the field, probably sees a lot of his snap percentage on the outside now, and uh, the rest of the guys just kind of rotate through. And uh, the last thing I had is that uh, I-, I wish I remembered who this quote is from, but I've heard it a million times. Usually – when you can't figure out the guy, you just buy the quarterback. Well, I think this is a situation where you just buy all the guys and the quarterback. None of them yeah. are expensive. Rarely, usually you have to spend up for one of the wide receivers to try to pick which one you want. You go pay for T.Y. Hilton because you don't want to try to pick between Funches and, and Campbell. Uh, or you could just buy Andrew Luck, right? Well, in this case, buy all four of them. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're cheap. And I think that you might end up being able to start one of – the four or all four of them on a weekly basis, if not this year, next year. 
I, I completely, completely agree with you there. Um, for the most part, the, the way that I look at it right now is the one surefire thing that I absolutely know is that Andy, Bell, Andy Isabel is going to be the focal point there. Uh, after that, I see um, Keyshawn Johnson and and Christian Kirk kind of kind of duking it out because for anybody that doesn't know, Keyshawn Johnson is is probably he was one a top five receiver for me. It was sad to see him go to this situation. It was sad to see him go late. Um, but oftentimes in the fantasy community, we see things a different way than GMs and, and, and other scouts and stuff like that. Um, but what I can tell you is that he will be fighting for a position there. Uh, but I think Hakeem Butler is an early favorite to just kind of slot into that X big uh, receiver role that Larry Fitzgerald is going to leave behind. Mm-hmm. So uh, while the situation is murky, and he and he gave us a, if not one of a top three uh, most dominant wide receiver seasons last season mm-hmm. uh, at Iowa State. So he doesn't. It's a late breakout. I get that. That's the knock on him is the late breakout. And but he did present um, the the data that suggests he has what it takes to dominate. I just think he's going to have to slot into that role, and the the situation is going to be far less murky uh, in a year or two. But definitely, definitely a guy that if you are invested, if you I, this is where process, I believe you stick with your process. If you are invested in him, he did not go to a bad situation. He just went to a situation where there's a few more mouths to feed. You might, you know, you you might be a little bit more hesitant in um in how much stock you're going to invest in how early in your draft you're going to but he's not a guy that you should like less because i feel like he went to a situation with a better quarterback a better coaching staff everything is elevated at the nfl level so i completely agree with you there adam i i think that he's definitely a guy that you you have to stick with if you're in your process if he if you were told or you came out with the projection of him being a top five even 10 wide receiver you got to stick with it there and not to knock anyone that's dropping them i understand dropping them but uh it's going to be an adjustment for everybody to see four wide in the NFL often. Sure. It happens sometimes, but it's going to be an adjustment to see an air raid offense. And that leaves four mouths on the field at the same time. How often can you say, uh, you know, four wide receivers are viable options at one time. So it's going to take some adjustment and I understand dropping them in your rankings, but I think that he might see the same as same snap share that he would have on a regular vanilla offense um so that's going to take you uh back to a guy that we already talked about earlier actually i already talked about him earlier and man i like this guy a lot but uh i had to drop him down so that's going to leave you to tell us who landed in a murky situation that you're sticking with jesse yeah i thought we talked about him earlier and we're going to talk about him some more we're going to go with uh, aj brown here situation like i said earlier it's as murky as it gets uh, with a guy like Corey Davis. Um, Adam Humphreys is there. Derek Henry is, is surging finally. Um, and uh, they're, they're, they're feeding targets to guys like Deion Lewis as well. So um, we know what, what AJ Brown is. I won't get into his college data, his breakout age, everything that he presented us uh, tells us that he is a dominant college player. Um, and that's one reason why I'm willing to, uh, to stick with him. But another reason why I'm willing to stick with him, regardless of the murky situation is the fact that I think that he caters to Mariota's game style and his gameplay more than a guy like Corey Davis, who soaks up all the targets. Corey Davis is a fine wide receiver, but he is a big prototypical X 
uh, play the boundaries of the field, uh, go up 50-50, snag it, come down, red zone, wide receiver. A.J. Brown is more versatile. He has better route running. Um, he, he's considered a big slot or can transition anywhere on the field. We saw DK make Metcalf miss games last year, the final four games, I believe. And instead of um, transitioning another wide receiver over to fill DK's X receiver role or letting Demarcus Lodge go over there, they put A.J. Brown over there. And he did considerably well in that role. And that tells me he can he can handle anything that's thrown at him in any situation. Um, a lot of people had Ole Miss pegged as probably one of the best wide receiver cores in the nation uh, coming into this into this draft class. AJ Brown dominated there. I do not look at this as a situation where uh, uh, where he will be hindered by Corey Davis. If anything, I think Corey Davis might be hindered by AJ Brown and what AJ Brown is able to do. I think that uh, looking at a little bit of, of Mariota's uh, statistics, if you look at his deep ball percentage, um, his, his deep ball attempts, only 36 last season. Uh, that was an average of, of 2.6 per game. Um, that ranked 31st in the league. Now, that tells me that um, he's looking for a guy to get open clean underneath, somebody that can that, that has good yards after the catch. Maybe not great, but somebody who can who, who can get the ball, create yards for themselves, um, and who can get open in a hurry. To me, that's A.J. Brown or Adam Humphreys too. But you could very well see those two guys transition within the offense themselves. That does not scream to me a guy like Corey Davis. Um, the one thing that Corey Davis has is that market share, that target share and target distribution at the wide receiver position. I really think you can see that diminish when A.J. Brown steps on the field. Um, another statistic that I want to want to point out too that kind of goes with the deep ball attempts is that um, Marcus Mariota's A dot for uh, the season is the lowest it's ever been in his career. He had about 7.5 yards on his average depth per target. And he's also coming off of the lowest attempts um, in his career. Um, granted, they they definitely wanted to get that ground and pound in with, with Derrick Henry, but that all of this is a culmination of just screaming to me that A.J. Brown, um, with, with the skill set that he has and being able to dominate in the offense that he did, that just tells me that, number one, he's going to create opportunity for himself with the gameplay that, that the, and, and his physical tangibles with the type of person that he is to be able to just step in an offense and command a role. I, I wholeheartedly, believe, wholeheartedly believe that, but then I believe he is the wide receiver that pairs the best with a guy like Mariota who does not want to push the ball down the field a ton, who wants the guys who are going to get open on a quick slant, uh, get that ten, that 7 to 10 yards real quick, um, and, and he can create for himself with the ball as well. So I think that while this situation does look murky on the surface, A.J. Brown is a guy that I'm trying to get a hold of as much as possible, and I will take him at the 110 all day. That's about right where, right where you'd have to take them. That's about mm-hmm. the latest I mentioned earlier. So I'm at the 204, but actually in a couple of drafts he was in the second round for me. But general ADP, I haven't really seen him um, getting into the second round range because he's just so good. I think we were reluctant to see how good he was at the beginning of the process because we were very enamored with DK Metcalf. Um, but A.J. Brown certainly dominated. And I was a bit confused at first starting the process as to why A.J. Brown was so incredibly more productive than D.K., yet we like D.K. more as we see that that kind of sorted itself out. D.K. is going before A.J., but for very different reasons. And I don't think very many people that are taking D.K. over A.J., including myself, think that D.K. is um, by any means more talented. Um, but that's going to put us right into uh, – 
right and say, Chris is guy, Chris, you're going to round us out with uh, the murky situation or perceived murky situation that you're uh, sticking to a guy on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, when it comes to, when it comes to DK Metcalf, this is one of those, again, you, you, you are going to have to trust your process in terms of how you, how you value this, uh, how you value Metcalf in that. Yeah. Um, him getting drafted by the Seahawks, like, well, again, that's one of the videos that you should definitely watch because I thought it was just, again, while I think Pete Carroll is one of the, like, the biggest liars, like, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to coach speak, uh, but he is just one of those, like, the players coach, they love to play for him, and I just think he's generally a good guy, uh, so I think if you get a chance to go watch that, uh, that draft, uh, that draft video, or that draft recap of when uh, DK got drafted, but still, uh, regardless, I mean, we knew what DKF was, what DK Metcalf was going into the draft. I mean, the and I think what was the terms I used? The big, tall, fast guy, essentially. Uh, not only the while the issues with his uh, agility are well known and well documented. Um, from what I understand, these are things that, at least from the from an agility standpoint, that can be worked out. Uh, from I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Gosh, I cannot remember what uh, university the guy works for, but it was one of the strength and conditioning coaches from one of the SEC schools. He came out and said that uh, it's more of he needs to learn how to shift his center of gravity and it can help with his uh, it can help with his agility and improve his agility. So while his three cone time at the at the combine was one of the worst. And of course, that really what. Uh, help to plummet his draft stock, at least within the fantasy community. It's something that he can work on. So now he goes to the Seahawks. We don't know what's going to happen with with Doug Baldwin, but of course with DK's strength and his skill set, that really wasn't going to be much of what uh, was going to impact him anyway. It's more of what do we expect out of Russell Wilson, and now that he's got the large contact extension, like what do we see from the team and their offensive philosophy going forward? Now, if you see... Russ taking a step back into what we expect him to be in the years prior, uh, over 500 pass attempts, still like incorporating the rushing and all that and not being the team that they were uh, in 2018. Then, of course, now DK becomes that receiver that you'd want. You can see the value in having somebody like DK on the field. But if you think that they're going to continue to lean on the players that they uh, that they drafted last year and Rashad Penny, uh, Chris Carson's still there. If you think they're continue this ground and pound type of attack, then now it becomes a little bit more of a murky situation. So while I don't think that DK has a ton of competition or his path to targets is, is unclear, it's more of what do we expect from the Seattle Seahawks and their offensive philosophy going forward? Like what does what is Schottenheimer going to do with this team in 2019? And that's what makes it at least somewhat unclear. But still, I think that DK right now, his value and I think where he's going in drafts I think is is a fair price but again it's just trying to I'm still left somewhat wondering what the team is going to look like in the upcoming season sure and on DK Metcalf um this offseason was really really weird for him um it brings me back to if you've listened to the show at all over the last year you've heard Chris trigger me over Jarek McKinnon the reason I would get so angry about Jarek McKinnon is because I think he's a fine player in his own right and what he does but Everybody wanted to peg him into this role that I don't think that he was um, built for, that he showed the ability to do. And I thought if his ADP was later to match what I thought that his uh, versatility matched, then I would be in on him. And that's how I felt about DK Metcalf. I 
I think like uh, maybe how Chris says, but I could probably be a little nicer about it. He, he runs straight and uh, embodies people. But I, it leads me back to this video that I got in a, the argument was tame, but I got in an argument on Twitter because I don't remember who, but someone I've interacted with before mentioned um, in a, in a quote tweet of a video that DK Metcalf was running at his pro day against a coach, all the, th- all the narratives that people have painted about DK Metcalf and how this clip proves that wrong. And all I can think about is the loud stampering of DK Metcalf's feet as he takes four to five steps to really break into his cut and then kind of rounds it out to get close to the pylon against, you know, a, a 50, 60 year old coach. And I'm just like, wow, that is a kind of how I felt about him the whole off season, <laughs> like in one video, but here's the, the plus side of it. And here's why I still am de- drafting DK Metcalf pretty early. I don't think that the Seahawks drafted him to do anything other than what he's great at. Um, I think that they finally decided that they want to use Russell Wilson. They said, okay, we utilized you through your rookie contract. We got you through your, your rookie contract. We're going to give you this massive extension and uh, we're going to let you be a top three quarterback in the league. Like uh, you've demonstrated you were over the various years that we handed the ball off. Don't earn that money. Yeah. And they're going to hopefully let them because they used a meaningful pick on DK Metcalf. And if you just put DK Metcalf in and use him how you used Lockett, I'm going to be fine with it. Um, If you want to put Russell Wilson in there and say, make some magic downfield, uh, you know, those seven, eight, nine second plays that we've known Russell Wilson to do. DK Metcalf's going to be 80 yards down the field and he's going to be bigger than whoever's on him. So if that's how they're going to use him, um, yes, I'm, I love DK Metcalf as my wide receiver three, I believe, and throw the ball as far as you can, Russ. He's got a wonderful deep ball. Uh, he's going to get open. He's going to do some crazy stuff. And not to mention, um, Doug Baldwin, very different player, uh, unfortunately might be retiring. So you, you don't have to worry about all of those targets on underneath. Jesse, I will give you the opportunity on DK Metcalf. I'm sure you've got something for him. And then whatever you want on DK and then just jump into your second round guy and kind of why he matters in the second round. Sweet. Yeah, I'll try and keep this short and simple. Um, I think uh, DK landed in a, a great situation for his skill set. And, and and like you said, Adam, I, I don't think that Seattle drafted him to be anything more than what he is. We all know he's not versatile. He's not a, a guy that you're going to move around the offense a ton, but he's phenomenal at what he does. And that's being just a ginormous big physical X receiver who can burn you down the field, who will beat you up at the line of scrimmage, who will out physical you out physical you anywhere on the field. And then he's going to has a massive catch radius that you can literally toss it up to him. He's going to go up high point, do whatever he has to do to get that ball. And he has great hands and he's able to do that. But for the most part, what makes him so enticing in Seattle for me is that, um, is that Brian Schottheimer runs a vertical passing scheme. And uh, it's it's more like an L- Air Coriel scheme where they have two wide receivers out at, um, on, on the side, your X and your, and, and your Z, and then they have the Y in the middle. And they generally run <clears throat> their tight ends. They want to get their tight ends in the flat. And we all know that they're a, a zone running scheme as well. Right. When DK was drafted, my the thought process that went into my head is they want to pound the rock 
and give the impression that they are going to run it. They ranked third in Russia or second in rush attempts last year. Mm -hmm. And I believe they're going to stay on the course with that. Uh, They averaged 32 attempts per game in 2018. So for me, what that tells me is that they want to get, they want to get the defense in a mismatch situation where they're stacking the the box. They're going to bring that strong safety down by the line of scrimmage. They're going to get a single high look. And then you're going to have one-on-one coverage on the outside with DK Metcalf and a corner who I can guarantee you is not as big, not as fast, and not as strong as him. Mm-hmm. And, and and the only thing I can tell you is that it is lights out for you at that point. He is a mismatch at the X position versus anybody in the league. I mean, maybe Xavier Rhodes can keep up with him just based off of like size and stature and physicality, but and Jalen mm-hmm. Ramsey too. Yeah, I was but, gonna say another big guy. Yeah, and but but for me, that just they drafted him to do what he does, and that is exactly what he does. And I think that it, Tyler Lockett was a big deep uh, a deep threat. Took about thirty four percent of snaps in the slot. I think he's going to rotate between the slot and the Z, and then who knows who else is going to be there. Uh, it, hopefully, I hope Doug Baldwin comes back because I would love to see him continue to play. But as far mm-hmm. as as, uh, as as that goes, I mean, you have a guy like Jerron Brown and David Moore, who I think would probably split inside, uh, mm-hmm. inside out roles with a guy like Tyler Lockett just stick DK on the left side of the field create an offense where you give the impression that you are just going to run the ball a ton run the play action let Russ escape the pocket throw off his platform down the field for a a 60 yard bomb to DK and that's what you drafted him to do and And let's not forget that he's going to match up against a hall of fame corner twice a year and I cannot wait to see that matchup with Patrick Peterson because man I mean Patrick Peterson's amazing favorite mm-hmm. corner for a very long time and it's I gonna think be that's gonna be a lot of fun to watch by no means do i think that uh dk is gonna push him around i mean he might even shut down dk but i bet you there's gonna be a lot of respect between those two players and uh mm-hmm. a phenomenal guy happy that he's not at that one two spot anymore so i can actually have shares getting him around one six one seven and super flex um i that's a guy I'm happy to roster, but that's going to put you on the uh, the second round guy that you like and uh, and why you like him. So a second round guy uh, that I personally like right now, um, he's going in about the middle of of the second, I believe. I was actually able to snag him in the third of our um, uh, trade addict six league that me and Adam are both in um, is uh, Justice Hill. So um, I think a lot of people look at look at Justice Hill and say, man, he went to a really bad situation when in reality, I do not think that that's the case. Uh, Gus Edwards and uh, Kenneth Dixon are both unrestricted free free agents um, next offseason uh, after uh, 2019. And Justice Hill, we, we saw him light the combine up, and we saw what he was able to do at uh, Oklahoma State. He is able to handle a large workload, has really good receiving upside, and I think he can be that almost – Camara to Ingram to Ingram in Baltimore. I think they're trying to ne- not necessarily recreate that, but add a more dynamic running back because I think he steps in as the most dynamic running back on that roster as is right now. And I think they're trying to create a tandem there where they can do a lot of things with with that trio of Ingram, uh, Ingram Hill, and and Lamar Jackson. That is a nasty trio that you are going to have to account for um, in in that backfield. So um, just looking at situation, I love that they're running the ball an absolute um, truckload of the time. They're ju- they I believe they they rank in the in the top fifteen for sure of in in rush attempts per game in 2018, and I just think that's likely to continue. And just 
Justice Hill is going to his pathway to targets is a lot easier than I think a lot of people are giving him credit for, and his skill set lends him to be able to take that and run with it. And I'm going to seed my pick uh, to to because it was kind of a cop out. It's going to be Marquise Brown, that, and I don't think there's a reason that he should be in the second round. He's an early second rounder right now. He's getting drafted behind guys like Debo, who are fine prospects in their own right, but uh, he was the top top receiver off the board and I think it was overblown that Lamar can't throw the ball I mean he's a rookie quarterback and uh um, mm-hmm. my, my question to you is and then we'll get to Chris's second round guy and then he can close us out right off that but Jesse do you think that we're going to see kind of anything special like uh any any t-wing or option with uh with Ingram and Hill uh with Lamar or do you feel as though the rushing is going to kind of have to be suppressed a bit now that he's the only you know the only option unless you're going to go with uh, RG three when you get them hurt. Uh, I to be honest with you, we only saw about I can't remember the exact number of games of of Lamar Jackson back there, but I want to say maybe a little bit over half the not over, but a little either at half or under half of the season with Lamar Jackson there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really don't know what to expect on a full season, but I I think. T-Wing's definitely in the possibility. I think that having a guy like Lamar Jackson and then adding dynamic pieces like Hollywood and um, Justice Hill and then uh, guys like Ingram, adding these guys um, into an already successful uh, offensive scheme that you made the playoffs with, mm-hmm. I, I would only imagine that you'd want to open up more of the playbook in Lamar Jackson's second year, and you would want to be able to do even more there. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that that's in the future. Um, I think uh, regardless of – I don't think RG3 is going to be a factor in, in necessarily what they want to do with uh, with Lamar Jackson, but any, I don't see them limiting him very much. Sure. I, I worried that once Flacco was gone in their safety blanket, the uh, the Super Bowl MVP was gone, and that was their safety blanket. I thought last year, man, they're running him right into these 260-pound linebackers that we see leaving the league now, and right. uh, he's getting smashed. But then you see, well, we have our real guy, uh, Joe Flacco, sitting on the bench, so it's fine. Uh, I'm glad they kept RG3 because they don't have to change their offense if Lamar does go down, but I was worried that the rushing attempts – might go down. I I've never been high on Justice Hill uh, throughout the process. I thought he was a fine player, but um, if if you're saying he's quite versatile, um, they didn't have any running backs that demanded any sort of extra attention last year, and now they have Mark Ingram and Justice Hill, who you consider to be very versatile. I would think we're going to see something interesting in that offense if mm-hmm. they're still able um, or willing to allow Lamar Jackson to rush as many times as he did last mm-hmm. year. Chris, that puts us at your second round and closing us out. Sure. Uh, at least for, for me, uh, at least a couple of guys that I like, at least in that range. I don't know where the where Boykin's going at. Uh, I think he's probably actually third, third in, round. in the third round. Yeah, third, if I'm not mistaken. But since we, just, yeah, since we were talking about the, the Baltimore, since we're talking about sure. Ravens, I figured I'd bring him up. But another player that I'm targeting as well. Uh, but uh, the so we have... Haskins in Washington, I'll take the guy that he was throwing passes to in college. Uh, I wouldn't mind like tra- trying to target McLaurin, if at all possible. One, we already know that, they're, that they've been in sync together. And also uh, with the Washington receiving core already mostly banged up, uh, we can see a path to targets for McLaurin. He kind of walks into at least a decent situation or a decent amount of volume. So he wouldn't be uh, a bad option for me at, the, at that price. Fair option on the deeper guys, and it makes sense when when you get deeper, paint yourself a narrative. Hopefully you can paint yourself a solid narrative. Today I'll be closing us out, so I really appreciate you coming on, Jesse. If you can let us know where we can find you, let us know where you can find your work. 
um, because I know that a lot of that's going to be coming out. And uh, any closing thoughts? Uh, yeah, man. Uh, first off, just thanks for 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 bringing me back on here, dude. I, I always enjoy talking some some good fantasy and football with you guys. And the first time I was on, I had a blast, man. And <clears throat> I definitely um, definitely hope to come back more too. You guys, you guys uh, make this a fun fun process, fun good hour of my night. So uh, <laughs> thank you guys, uh, appreciate it again. And um, yeah, you guys can find all my work over at FF Statistics. Uh, I'm I'm currently right now on a little hiatus from written content. You guys can kill, still catch me on uh, on Twitter at Jesse Reeves FF. Um, I will be returning to written content here probably within the next week or so. I needed to decompress after the draft and mm-hmm. this whole entire process um, as this was my, my first extended draft coverage and um doing a whole bunch of write-ups and stuff so uh yeah needed needed to decompress a little bit so um but yeah stay stay tuned uh be on the lookout for that and um uh, took a little bit bit of a break from uh the podcast that i host um uh, the youth movement which is a part of the ff statistics podcast family uh me and david have been planning on picking that up very soon um hopefully within the next couple weeks uh, as long as we can get on the same schedule and whatnot so you can find a lot of my um, podcasting content over there, uh, and then written content and rankings and such um, over at FS Statistics, man. That's awesome, man. And of course, thanks, Jesse, so much for coming on. Uh, Adam, do we have anything else before we get on out of here? Um, just remember, Best Ball Owners Manual, uh, Debbie Owners Manual, they're both doing an, an excellent job representing the Dynasty Owners Manual family. And uh, you're going to see a, a lot of us soon on DLF. So if you don't have your DLF sub, Make sure you go grab it. It is well worth the money, and I'm a huge advocate for paying for quality content. Um, you can find me at APWILDE. You can find our podcast uh, Twitter at Dynasty Manual, uh, also at Devi Manual, and at Best Ball Manual. And uh, thank you all for listening. All right. But for Jesse, for Adam, um, I'm Chris Allen. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX. We thank you everybody for tuning in tonight and catch you all next week. When it hits you, feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Dynasty Owner's Manual. It's automatic. Dynasty. It's automatic. Owner's Manual. It's automatic. I thought we did that afterwards. After the forward, I normally bring in the guest. You guys got to keep this in there. You got to keep this in the episode. This is can't. Don't cut this, please. Don't. (laughs) You guys gotta leave this in. I know what happened. (laughs) All right, right backwards.